Hello, this is Dean Kernut, and welcome to the Alpha Exchange, where we explore topics in financial markets associated with managing risk, generating return, and the deployment of capital in the alternative investment industry. Welcome to a special edition of the Alpha Exchange, one in which your host and guest are one and the same. Above all, our conversations on this podcast are aimed at helping you think about risk. After all, it was the Spanish philosopher George Santayana who famously said, those who forget history are condemned to repeat it. So as a large portion of these discussions address present-day uncertainties and opportunities, we also spend some time looking backwards. History doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. It's never different this time. You get the picture. I've got a couple of items planned for this discussion, and I think I can make it worth your while in less than 40 minutes. I'm going to share some current thoughts on the world of risk as captured by changes in derivative prices. At least at the index level in the S&P 500, realized volatility is quite benign. Over the past month, realized vol is just 11. I like to say that nothing bad happens in markets when realized vol is below 15. But for me, market prices are singing right now, providing especially fertile opportunities for insights on how the grounds may be shifting. In the rendering of one investor, we are back to being in a duck market, calm on the surface, but beating furiously below it. After some consideration of these prices and what they mean, I will then share some work I did a number of years ago. In the spirit of six-minute abs, 11 healthy recipes, and seven habits of highly effective people, I will share my 10 handy facts on vol. Geeky stuff to be sure, but if I'm successful, you'll find some nuggets of broader investing wisdom in this discussion. First, allow me a small interlude to provide you with an update on another project I've been working on, MacroMinds. I created this foundation back in 2019 to raise funds for causes in the New York area focused on student education. Our business model is simple. Host a once-a-year, highly differentiated symposium featuring industry leaders who share their insights on the remarkably complex world of investing. On June 7th in New York City, we're doing just that. And I couldn't be more excited about our incredible agenda. Our program includes two one-on-one conversations, one with AQR founder Cliff Asnes and the second with Stone Ridge founder Ross Stevens. We'll also have four different panel discussions. In the first, the economics of geopolitics, Eurasia Group CEO Mazier Minovi and PGM Chief Global Economist Dalip Singh will help us understand market threats like the debt ceiling. In our second panel, Ellington founder and CEO Michael Vrenos and Axonic founder and CIO Clay DiGiacinto share their insights on the opportunity set in structured products amidst this Fed tightening cycle and all the rate vol that has come with it. Next, and in the spirit that the 100-year storm appears to occur in markets a tad more frequently than anticipated, Liebermax founder and CIO Greg Lippman and Black Maple founder and CIO Rob Bernard will talk about risk management through crisis events. And lastly, we'll be treated to a discussion on the macro considerations in portfolio construction from two investors overseeing vast pools of capital, Nuveen CIO Sarah Malik and Bessemer CIO Holly McDonald. The value of a conference is very much about the quality of the speakers, but it's also about your fellow delegates. The return on investment from a day away from the screens is highest when we're not just listening to experts, but also strengthening existing business relationships and building new ones. It is this spontaneous collaboration that occurs during lunch, coffee breaks, and my absolute favorite, 
the post-event cocktail reception that can be really valuable. At the event will be portfolio managers, CIOs, chief risk officers, heads of strategy efforts in various trading desks, traders, sales traders, and heads of asset allocation. Every asset class will be represented. This is going to be a fantastic networking event. And all of this is to support three organizations that are doing important work on behalf of students. A recent Bloomberg piece is titled, Pandemic Caused Enduring Blow to Children's Learning in Study. The research finds that, quote, kids lost out on about one-third of a normal school year's worth of learning since the pandemic hit. The report goes on to say that, quote, the deficit was greater in math and hurt youngsters from disadvantaged backgrounds the most. If you are listening to this, please do check out our website, www.macrominds.org, and get more familiar with our overall mission. I'd love to have you and your firms involved. All right, let's move on to the subject at hand, which is in the quite fascinating mix of market prices. As mentioned, day-to-day swings in the S&P are muted. At this point last year, we'd already had 10 daily moves that exceeded up or down 2%. In 2023, we've had just two moves of this magnitude. In the land of options, there is a distinct pain trade, and that, for those who've paid premium to enjoy the right without the obligation, is low realized volatility. These periods of market quiet make it difficult to own options, and it should be no surprise that the VIX recently got as low as 16. But there are certainly periods when realized volatility may provide a false coast is clear signal. We can easily look at the exceptionally low vol period before the GFC. It's worth noting as well that a month prior to the near miss of the debt ceiling in 2011, the VIX was also at 16. And just weeks before the market chaos of the pandemic would be unleashed in 2020, the VIX rested comfortably around 15. Why? Because realized vol, the earnings engine for long option strategies, placed it there in each case. Each asset class has its own VIX some tradable measure of risk premium that captures the cost of insurance. There's the CVIX for currencies, there's BitVol for Bitcoin, and the OVX for oil. Heck, even the VIX has a VIX, the VVIX. I want to highlight two of these cross-asset cousins that have me thinking right now. The first is around the debt ceiling and the substantial widening of U.S. sovereign CDS. Sov CDS is an interesting product. And when the reference credit is the United States, it invites certain existential questions. Better to think of it as a risk premium metric and one that might provide mark-to-market protection rather than an instrument you hold to maturity looking for a payout. What do we see? Well, a time series of the one-year CDS accessible through the newly popular SOVR page on Bloomberg shows the U.S. at nearly 200 basis points. The same metric for Germany is just five basis points. Debt to GDP in Deutschland is below 70% and actually forecast to marginally decline over the next decade. The most recent budget deficit, 2.6% of GDP, is less than half that of the U.S. of 5.5%. In 2021, these good United States managed to print a 12% shortfall, a real belt tightening after the 15% deficit in 2020. Now, we know the U.S. is not a corporation. But for fun, let's peek at a few constituents in the HYCDX basket. At nearly 200 basis points on the one-year point, this spread easily eclipsed that of both Xerox and Macy's. Not exactly high flyers. That said, we need to interpret the US CDS level with care. 
The long holder of this contract is paying for the right to deliver a bond on a trigger event and get 100. It turns out uniquely that this deliverability option is extremely valuable given how price impaired certain, quote, risk free treasury securities are. Just ask the risk officers at Silicon Valley Bank. A piece by previous Alpha Exchange guest and author of Trillions, Robin Wigglesworth, from the Financial Times on March 8th, entitled Does Treasury Bedlam Beckon? describes the setup, referencing work from Barclays and explaining how the current spread is not nearly a reflection of an implied probability of default, but rather the value of this delivery option. According to Barclays, the cheapest to deliver security has a price in the mid-50s. In this context, a trigger event would be a windfall for the protection holder. What I really want to keep thinking about is the potential for a supply strike in vol as a result of debt ceiling uncertainty. The biggest moves we see in asset prices are always a function of demand overwhelming the market's ability to supply. In the few months prior to the June UK Brexit referendum, British pound vol reached outrageously high levels, at one point eight vols above the VIX. The meme episode in January of 2021 is another example of where the market's capacity to absorb tail risk becomes dangerously compromised. Markets, simply put, are prone to malfunction. As we are at the 25th anniversary of the LTCM event, I was very excited to host podcast conversations with the authors of the two prominent books on this important event. I recently reread Roger Lowenstein's When Genius Failed and Nick Dunbar's Inventing Money, and I am recalling the spiral higher in long-dated equity vol that marked LTCM out of its short Vega positions. These outrageously high prints, north of 35 on five-year S&P vol, were really just where two counterparties happened to transact with the seller being coaxed by price. There's a broader lesson here as time ticks away on the debt ceiling and both sides robotically seek the moral high ground. Market prices, especially those that leave a seller short a tail outcome, can gap out. House Speaker McCarthy has just passed a debt ceiling bill with some conditionality, apparently dead on arrival according to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. We watched this in 2011, but with a different cast of characters, but for Joe Biden himself. Turns out Vice President Joe was pretty helpful in getting to the finish line back then. So far, he appears steadfast and having no appetite for negotiation. Yogi Berra once said, predictions are hard, especially about the future. Well, here's a prediction. You will hear lots of commentary from Yellen, Biden, McCarthy, from the Democrats, with one side saying, we have a debt problem. And the other side saying, in the words of Les Grossman from Tropic Thunder, we don't negotiate with terrorists. From a market's perspective, we should wonder how motivated the sell-side index vol trader is going to be to step in and sell a 10-delta put on the S&P as this drama drags on and the point of no return draws nearer. It seems plausible that the risk police inside these banks will say, quote, at no price are you to be short this gap risk. If the supply of vol declines, the market clearing price of it will rise, perhaps decidedly so. Staring at hedging costs that are simply not economical, market participants may be left with little choice but to de-risk their portfolios. Let's move to a second observation in the world of volatility and the potential read-through to the broader climate. Let's look at gold. Listeners will know that long gold was among the calls highlighted in our year-end podcast. The idea was simple, and that was that gold could do well in an environment in which stocks suffered in a classic risk-off in which bonds rallied. And while it's hard to argue that stocks have suffered in 2023, gold is up 10% as the dollar has weakened 
and 10-year real rates are 30 basis points lower from the start of the year. It's worth noting that during the 2011 debt ceiling crisis, gold took on an incredibly negative correlation to the S&P. On August 8, 2011, the S&P fell by 6.7%, and the GLD rose by 3.3%. Two days later, the S&P would fall by 4.4%, the GLD would rise by 3.5%. What do we see now in gold options? We look to one-month implied volatility across strike prices, comparing today's reading to March 8th, the day before SIVB stock collapsed. The implied vol on the 10% out-of-the-money put in GLD is the same, but the 105% call is up nearly five vols. That increase in vol jacks up the price of that call by 160%, nearly triple its price from March 8th. As gold is around negative 70% correlated to the USD, we can view gold calls as dollar puts. The bid to upside in the GLD surface shines some light on a dollar weakness story. A recent Bloomberg article reports that Stanley Druckenmiller is short the dollar. In the US, the one-year forward policy rate is 120 basis points south of the three-month forward policy rate. In Europe, by contrast, these two numbers are essentially flat. If FX is at least some result of the relative path of tightening and easing for two countries, this appears consistent with the weaker dollar view. Okay, those are a couple of observations on the risk front. For me, they are markers to keep an eye on. Now I want to spend the balance of our time together reviewing some work I did a number of years ago, which I simply call 10 Handy Facts on Vol. These are characteristics of the behavior of volatility in asset prices and the options that are written on them. As I reread those two LTCM books, I got a renewed appreciation for how wedded the principles were to the idea that market prices could be modeled with such precision. With Myron Scholes and Robert Merton as partners, the Black Scholes Merton technology was imprinted in the DNA of long term capital management. The Black Scholes world is a tidy one for sure. In this beautiful world, transaction costs and taxes are not a thing. Amen. In addition, markets never close, and in this perfected state, your size is my size. There's always a counterparty ready to transfer risk. Further, and critically, returns are assumed to be normally distributed, and a vol's asset is both known and constant. Our first handy fact on vol is that implied vol is driven by realized vol. This is especially true for short-dated implied volatility and brings rise to the old saying, theta is the rent on gamma. The VIX is 80 to 85% correlated to concurrent one-month realized volatility. The linkage of implied to realized weakens as the option expiration lengthens. As stated earlier, realized vol is the earnings engine for long vol strategies. Without it, in the words of Robert Bogutsky, you are left to, quote, die on the cross of time decay. Next, we observe that generally implied vol exceeds realized vol. The VRP, the vol risk premium, is well established in the data. In 2017, the average VIX of 11.2 was 65% higher than the realized vol in the S&P. Carry strategies driven by vol shortfall abound across asset classes. The old saying, sell the straddle and go to lunch, is some recognition of this, but the tinge of overconfidence implied in this statement is how you get into trouble. Those same vol sellers who got fat and happy in 2017 imploded in the Feb 18 Volmageddon debacle. Our next handy fact on vol is that down vol exceeds up vol. With infrequent periods of exception, down moves matter most in establishing the level of realized vol for an equity index like the S&P. 
In 2017, the realized vol on down days was just 6.5%, slightly below that of the up moves. Now, while it is generally the case that the equity market moves down faster than it moves up, there are some exceptions. The meme frenzy in Q1 2021 stands out. And even in the S&P, the realized vol on up days in 2022 at 25% exceeded the 23.7% realized vol on down days. For other assets, it's a mixed bag. For example, the distribution of returns for commodities, especially soft commodities, often results in upfall exceeding downfall. This has also certainly been the case for Bitcoin. Fourth, we observe that the vol service has put skew. There is a premium of risk premium in downside equity puts, likely driven by the recognition that markets crash down, not up. The option seller must be compensated for bearing the substantial convexity risk in downside puts leaving the implied vol for a 10 to 20% out-of-the-money put higher than that of an at-the-money put. Interestingly, SKUs are unique both within and across asset classes. The S&P SKU has always been steeper than, say, the Eurostock SKU. And further, for a given asset, there is time variation in the level and shape of this vol SKU. Last year, for instance, the S&P SKU was exceedingly flat. The market paid less of a vol premium for that out-of-the-money put than has historically been the case. At the end of 2022, for example, the 5% out-of-the-money put carried a vol just 4.4 over that of the 5% out-of-the-money call, putting that skew in just the fifth percentile over a decade. When measuring skew, we fix the expiration and we look at implied vol across strike. When looking at the term structure, we do the opposite, fixing the strike and looking at vol across different expirations. Thus, our fifth observation is that the vol surface has term structure. With strong consistency, implied vol is higher for longer versus shorter dated options. This configuration leads to the well-known roll-down effect, a factor that increases carry costs for long option holders. Backwardation, or an inverted vol term structure, occurs only infrequently, almost always the result of a spike in realized volatility. This vol term structure figures prominently in LTCM's decisions in the words of a Morgan Stanley exec to become the central bank of volatility. By 1997, there was a persistent upward slope to S&P vol, with five-year options clearing at a vol premium to shorter-dated expiries. Believing it could step in and provide this risk-bearing capital to the market and hedge out the delta risk, LTCM built a remarkably large position in long-dated Vega. While the mark-to-market losses became unsustainably large, even if they'd been able to hold on, this vol wasn't sold at a favorable level. In fact, over the five-year period from 1997 to 2002, the realized vol on the S&P was 22%. The tech bubble and unwind, the tragic attack on 9-11, and the accounting crisis in 2002 all kept vol elevated after LTCM's demise. And that leads us to handy fact number six, that vol has memory. The best predictor of vol tomorrow is vol today. Empirically, we see that periods of low vol tend to lead to a self-reinforcing psychology of stability. When these periods inevitably do occur, I like to ask the question, why hedge when no one else will? These periods of motionlessness give me personally a lot to consider. How does low vol reinforce itself? One way is that it affords investors time. There's no rush to part with hedging premium when the daily swings are hard to notice. The psychology in this environment can become one in which investors see alpha in not hedging, 
banking the unspent budget that accrues from waiting. What can result, paradoxically, is an overall market risk profile that becomes dangerously short vol at the lows in vol. We saw this en masse in 2006 and early 2007. We saw it again in equities in 2017. The notion that vol has memory also applies to high vol periods. Look at the clustering of huge daily moves in the S&P in 2008. In March of 2020, the SPX had three successive days where it experienced a 9% close-to-close move. These bursts of volatility effectively make an investor's portfolio much larger than desired from a value-at-risk standpoint. A de-risking episode can result, which can damage sentiment and serve as a further accelerant to vol. That second statement leads us to number seven, that vol mean reverts. Market disruption events don't last forever, as a combination of cheap asset prices and regulatory firefighting response ultimately provides runway for capital to be redeployed and vol to decline from very high levels. It is often the case that the best time to sell vol is into an impaired market at sky-high levels. Our eighth handy fact on vol is the observation that vol regimes change. The interaction between monetary, regulatory, and fiscal policy with the real and financial economy results in unique vol regimes. The substantial leverage buildup in the pre-crisis period was part of the competition to sell insurance at increasingly thin levels that served to depress already low vol levels. In the Black-Scholes world, the 19.74 average VIX over 30 years, happy birthday VIX, by the way, is always the level, no matter the business cycle, the stance of Fed policy, or the trades that live and breathe in the market. There is a 74-point spread between the all-time high and all-time low in the VIX, from 9.1 to 82.7. For fun, let's translate those two vol levels into what it means for the price of a one-month 5% out-of-the-money put on the S&P. Using the low VIX, that put costs two basis points. And using the all-time high in the VIX of 82.7, the same put costs 6.9%. These regimes do indeed change. And the reason they change brings us to the ninth handy fact on vol, that vol is reflexive. Channeling Minsky, Alan Greenspan once said, quote, history has not dealt kindly with the aftermath of protracted periods of low-risk premia. Ironically, this was part of testimony he gave to the Senate Banking Committee in 2006. With the benefit of hindsight, we now know that the volatility drought and overall dearth of bad outcomes was actually directly complicit in the pre-crisis buildup of leverage that left investors so ill-prepared for change. When stability persists for long periods, trades are built around the expectation that financial markets will remain accident-free. When outcomes do in fact unfold without agitation, Profits accrue to the strategies that benefit from calm. These profits are often restaked into the same short vol trades, but at thinner margins of safety. And lastly, our 10th handy fact on vol is that vol events result from the shattering of consensus. Recency bias is a strong human condition, leading investors to over-extrapolate the present. This failure of imagination on how things may change is what leads to the excessive consumption of carry trades that bet that tomorrow will unfold as today has. The severity of a market vol episode is a function of how wrong the market got it. A few examples, housing prices can never fall nationally. A developed sovereign can never default. The Fed could never tighten by more than 25 basis points at a turn. 
Well, there you have it. 10 handy facts on Vol. Hopefully those have given you some things to think about. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Alpha Exchange. You've been listening to the Alpha Exchange. If you've enjoyed the show, please do tell a friend. And before we leave, I wanted to invite you to drop us some feedback. As we aim to utilize these conversations to contribute to the investment community's understanding of risk, your input is valuable and provides direction on where we should focus. Please email us at feedback at alphaexchangepodcast.com. Thanks again and catch you next time.